When you've been through something that's traumatizing or a tragedy, a heartbreak, in that moment, it can feel like you can't get up. But today, guys, my homie Cassandra Freeman is here to tell us her personal vulnerable story of how the hell she was dealing with such heartbreak and trauma and yet was able to get up every freaking day, reset it and overcome the emotions she was feeling so she could work towards her dream. Guys, you may know her as Aunt Viv on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but trust me, this woman is stacked with artistry, life and inspiration. She talks about how to take rejection and actually make it a redirection. We also discuss how to be a freaking badass and define meaning for your life. Your situations, no matter how bad it may seem, in the moment when you feel like you can't break through that insecurity. We also talk about the power of walking away with uncertainty to create the future that we really freaking want to make possible. Guys, this episode was so freaking fun for me and so damn mind-blowing and inspirational all at the same time. So I'm so damn excited for us to get started. But before we do, please, guys, if this episode brought you value or if Women of Impact as a podcast does bring you value, the one ask I have is to please share it, follow, subscribe. That really does mean a lot to me. So now, without further ado, let's dive in with my girl, Cassandra Freeman. Believe that this is that moment where life is trying to say, and you lost. And I thought, who could I be for myself and my future self if I thought, no, this is when the phoenix rises. From the outside, I think of you as this like really freaking strong, badass woman who can, re- you know, act, hold her own. And in diving into your history, there was one thing that really struck out to me that I'd love to start with, mm. where you were waiting tables, you get what is considered probably the biggest opportunity for Inside Man, where you get to work with Denzel Washington, Spike Lee, Jodie Foster. I mean, like, name of all names. The dream is coming true. Mm. And during that time, though, mm. you say that your father died, your grandfather died, and you were splitting up with your fiancé mm. all at once within, like, an eight-week period. Mm. How the hell, girl, do you go after your dream, point your finger, know where you're going to go, show up every day and deal with such freaking grief. I was very angry with God. Um, I swore off God. I was like, and I'm done. Um, And I kept thinking, well, maybe this opportunity, my life is so much about trying to create the right framework of like the hero's journey. And I was like, if this was a movie, how does she get through this? And I thought, Well, she'd pack up her things and she'd leave the place that gave her sorrow. And so that's one reason why I moved out to L.A. at first. Mm -hmm. I came back to do Inside Man in New York, but I left. I moved in with my best friend who lived here. And I just tried my best to create community around me. And they did everything to get me out of the house. You know, I would have days I couldn't get out of the bed. And I talk about that period of my life a lot um, because... I just kept thinking I would have to bury myself during those periods. And the only thing that kept me going was that I thought, I believe that this is that moment where life is trying to say, and you lost. 
And I thought, who could I be for myself and my future self if I thought, no, this is when the phoenix rises. Like this is when chapter two happens and she realizes she can be anything. And that's why I just kept telling myself, because you know what? Here's my last thought on this. I really believe when things get the darkest, every great movie has that moment when everything all is lost. And if you get out of it, it is like miraculous sunshine. And that has been the truth of my life so far. Thank you for that. I love that. It's the moment where people don't necessarily believe, though, that they can get out of it. And so if you don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but if you don't mind taking me back, because you said, I got myself together just to do the audition. Right. Let's actually go back if you don't mind, Mm because these are the moments. These are the moments where someone's like, I just can't. My dad's passed away. My grandfather, I it's my dream. I just right. can't do it. I can't physically get up. I don't believe I can. I don't have the strength. Mm. So what does actually getting up look like? How did you build that strength just to even yeah. walk in the room for the audition? Like even just take me through the day. Do you like right. splash cold water on your face? Like, because girl, I'm telling you, these are the things, things. that hold people That's back. Right. That's right. Um, first of all, It's not on accident that that is the role I booked. When I was a little girl, I used to look at a movie called Mo' Better Blues that starred Denzel, Spike Lee directed it. And I would get as close to the TV like this. And I would look at Denzel Washington act. And I would look at his eyes to see the lie. Like, how is he acting? Like, it looks like truth. And I would try to be the opposite person he's talking to. And so I remember that audition came. I thought... My dad would want me to go to this audition. So I was like, and I do this even on my show in Bel Air. I'm like, who can I dedicate this moment to in my life? And so I was like, okay, this isn't for me. It sounds so hokey, but I was like, this is for my dad. So I'm like, I'm gonna walk into the room to like check off that box of this like dream. But never in a million years did I think I was gonna get it. And actually I was auditioning for like police number 52 in the background. So I woke up that morning and I tried to put together like the most beautiful version of myself I could create. You know, what's miraculous about being a woman, even during the depression, women always found money to still get the lipstick, to get the blush, to get the heels, to draw the line on the back of their legs, you know? And I thought, that's what I'm gonna do. But I was able to suspend grief to just walk into that audition. And I can't tell you when I walked into the room, there's this thing of like a reset where you say reset as if nothing has ever happened. And like today was the first day you ever got an audition. Today's the first day someone ever considered you to be an actor. It's a fun game to play. So, okay. So I walked in and it likes to make everything go away. And here's the other thing. Charlize Theron. Oprah Winfrey, Angelina Jolie, I would walk in and pretend like I was one of them. I'd be like, and I'm going to walk into the room and they're only going to see Charlize Theron. They're only going to see Oprah Winfrey today. And it's like, so it's, that's why acting has saved my life because there's something very shamanistic about walking in as someone else to have their strength. And Angelina Jolie, especially at that time, just meant like beauty and resilience and strength. So honey, I walked into that room and when I tell you I had no burdens, I was just, and also because I had no, I wasn't nervous Mm -hmm. because nothing's more important than the loss of my dad and my grandma. So I could just be about the work. And I was like, so I'm here and I'm present. What do you want from me? And I did the scene. And then just as I started to walk out, the casting director said, hold up. How about you audition for the girlfriend of Denzel? And I turn around, I'm like, excuse me. And she's like, yeah, but can you take that wig off? And I was like, how does she know I'm wearing a wig? (laughs) 
And I had a little short <gasps> pixie cut back then. And I took my wig off and I sprinkled my hair and I did it again. And it, both those moments like just made me so present. But that's the thing about great pain. You know, people misfile their life. They put their past into their future, you know? And in moments like that, you're supposed to think what you want your future to be and insert that card so you can walk towards that life. And hopefully everything else is silent. But it's a leap of faith. But mind you, when I left that room, old Cassie still showed up on the other side of that. I felt broken. I went and sat in my tub. And just listen to the water, like baths and showers have always been, you know, my workshop on self of just like bathing in that. But that's how I did it. It sounds and it sounds triumphant, but you don't know you're going to win anything without having to erase. So reset. Reset is a huge part of my life. Reset. And let's pretend like nothing has happened. Nothing bad has happened and begin again. Because that's what kids do. Oh, girl, there's so much good stuff there. Okay, um, the idea of it being day one is genius because you end up getting into a habitual motion, right? So you don't actually break free of it. And so if you're just like, oh, I show up, I do my work, I go home. How are you showing your best? On mm-hmm. day one, That's everyone right. shows their best. That's exactly right. The first day, everyone shows their best. Everyone's excited yeah. on day one. Everyone has like a huge idea of what their future is mm-hmm. going to be. That's exactly right. You have to do that everywhere. I have to do it with my kid. I do it with mm-hmm. my husband. I think, what would it be like if today was the first day I was with this man? I would think I'm so lucky. <laughs> okay, same thing with my kid. Same thing with my friend. You have to do it a lot sometimes because life gets heavy. Yeah, I love that. And then you were saying about how, like, if you go into character, it allows you to reset. Mm. Um, so I actually just did an interview with Dr. Amen, the brain uh, specialist. Yeah. And there's, there's that concept of um, being, like, basically breaking free so that you're kind of looking at yourself from the bird's eye Honey, view. I believe in that. Yeah. Yes. So there's another... Look, my life, I say whatever I have now has been constructed uh, out of a place of trying to heal what's broken or what was broken by other people and things and traumas, right? But that's another one. Since I was a little girl, two things. One used to be when I'd go to bed scared, I would imagine like the idea of Jesus was in bed with me and he had wings and he would wrap himself around me at night. And that would be like my safe like a safe corner of the world, right? And then as I got older, I thought, what if in heaven, before we came down, we said, I want to play a game. And the game is I'm going to come down and I'm going to be this thing they call an African-American woman. And I'm going to have this thing happen to in her childhood and this thing. And you look around the room and it's like, and you're going to play my dad and you're going to play my mom and you're going to break my heart. Okay. And you, you might abandon me. Okay. Listen, guys, this is going to be amazing. Okay. And you look at it from, so it's this idea of like, you see it from up above and you see how like, this is like some fun dance down here of, we get to have the opportunity to experience all sorts of pain. It's like Baskin Robbins of emotions, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And if you think about like, it sort of makes you detach from the surreal, and that has helped me a lot as an actor. When I'm in real life, if things get too difficult, I do do that thing of like up above, what would this look like? Oh, And so what choices exist in this moment? Uh, Let's do that. Okay. And come back. It allows you to be like your best, highest self. You can't always do that, but it's a fun exercise, isn't it? To be like, oh, this is that moment where the dad dies. Oh, it's so sad. But what did she learn? And I learned a lot of things, you know, a lot of traumas have happened and I learned some things and I try to take like the best part of that 
and run. How else do people do it? Well, so this was actually my question because I can actually see that's a genius way of doing it. But to be honest, I can also see as that being a strategic way of escaping the actual pain that the trauma brought. Oh, of course, it's a mechanism to save the self. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I've done a lot of therapy. I've read a lot of memoirs. Uh, you look at Nelson. I always think about Nelson Mandela or Gandhi, Martin Luther King. These people were great injustices have happened. Nelson Mandela has that great part where he says he's in the prison and he befriended the mice and the roaches as his friends. That was for survival. Um, there's certain ways I think that you can create survival for yourself in the darkest moments that that ha- that allow you to disconnect so you can survive. And then when you gather the strength, you piece it back together again. I mean, goodness knows, I think I was 35 before I really dealt with the idea that my parents divorced. And my parents were divorced since five. Oh, wow. And something about 35 hit me after my dad passed away and I dealt with that. I was like, oh, so they're never going to get back together again. And I realized like, oh, I blamed myself all these years. And that's where this personality came from of like, I'm going to be a good girl. I'm going to be a good girl. You, you know what I'm saying? So you're right. It's unhealthy. But I think I think the arts, all of that is a way for us to deal with great pain and struggle. So you could say it detaches you, but I think it gives you like the space to deal with it. So when you have enough tools, you come back to it and you're like, that's what that is. Okay, let me go share this with everyone. Y'all, this is what I've learned. This is how you can get through this struggle. Mm-hmm. But it's like coming back piece. It's like the end. Like if you don't have that, then I don't know how anyone can actually address it and overcome it. Mm-hmm. So for you, was it therapy in order for you to then come back to the hardship of that trauma? Um, it's a couple of things. Okay. One part is, um, yeah, I did a lot of therapy. College, I did therapy. Grad school, I did therapy out of grad school. But the thing that really changed my life is a program called Landmark. And it's like this uh, three-day thing I did here in California out of grad school. And it was sort of on accident. I met this woman and she was just so tremendous. And I was like, how did you get this way? She said, Landmark. And the main thing I loved about Landmark is that it gave me the tools to really deal with what I was feeling. And and it's the first time I realized like the concept of your life is based around what do you believe this moment is about? Whatever you believe, then that's your future. And Landmark like was like, oh, that's what this is about. So I can create any, me- you can create any meaning that you want for your life why are we choosing the worst meaning? That is not, you know, I did ayahuasca a few years mm. ago and ayahuasca revealed the exact same thing. It was the idea of like, look around. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? It's up to you. It's like a toll booth. Which ticket do you want to take from the toll booth? What do you want this to mean? You know, and so Landmark taught me, you know, there's a construct. You live in America. America has a lot of constructs. Black is bad. Women means weak. That's a construct. It can mean something else. What do you want it to mean? Mm-hmm. I think black might mean holy. I think black, actually, we're all black pretending to be other things. Actually, I think woman is sovereignty. I think woman means holiness. That's why we have the whole to create life. It's like, if I get to create something, I'm going to create the most powerful thing for myself. And Landmark did that for me. And I thought, oh, if I am that, who could I be for other people? I could be a pathway of healing, love, light. That's Landmark. So Landmark's the thing that really like, Landmark did for me in three days that 
it could have taken me 12 years in therapy. Wow, that's fascinating. I had no idea. And then even just saying out loud, like, what is that thing that I want? How do I get to it? Like, okay, I feel broken right now. Mm -hmm. I need to help myself. I need to take time. And you said it earlier, like, of taking that distance, um, I think is super important. And then just doing the steps, because when you're in the middle of it, things don't necessarily feel real or feel like you should do this, right? It's like, no, I... Don't um, isolate yourself. But really, in those moments, all you want to do is isolate. Right. So it's almost like you can't necessarily trust the feeling that you're going through. No, you can't trust the feeling. Oh, my God. Feelings are a roller coaster. <laughs> my son, even when he has, I have a four-year-old, when he feels great things, I say, oh, good job. Yeah, feel it. You have to feel the entire emotion and know it's going to take you somewhere else. You know, mental health, bad mental health is you get stuck on the roller coaster. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Good mental health is, oh, I feel something. But everything turns into something else. Also, the thing is, is that I know my pain is not isolated. I'm not the first person to lose my dad, the first person whose fiance, you know, that relationship didn't work out. A lot of bad things have happened over here. I'm not the first person. So I'm a great investigator. So I'm just like, who else has lived through this? Maya Angelou. She was hit in the face with a four by four by a man who she thought loved her. Then put her in a bed and tied her up and was going to kill her if it was not for the grace of her mom having a vision to find her. If horrible things can happen to someone as brilliant as Maya Angelou, why not me, right? So, you know, you can't be like, oh, why me, why me? It can be about, well, how do how does anyone get through these things? And then become like a scientist about it. And then I was like, oh, that's how they got out of it. How can I do that too? I read Barbara Streisand's book, Diana Ross's book. You know, I love reading great women, great people, and how do they get through things? And then I'm like, oh, so I'm a part of the tapestry of great people who went through tremendous pain and who still made a great life for themselves. And it allows me to stay humble and it allows me to be like, oh, this is a moment right now that is happiness. Right now, this is happiness. Up, right now, this is the pain moment. This is the pain. This is the exhaustion moment. You know, and then we get to cycle through it. Mm, Oh my God, I love that. How do you not diminish then the grief that you were going through? Because I hit, it is so powerful to look at other people and say, the thing that I'm struggling with, but look at someone else. Right. Like, honey. Right? right. Like, look at, well, if Maya Angelou can get through all of that, honey. right, what can I get through? It's yeah. powerful. But here's the thing that I think sometimes can also be dangerous. Mm-hmm. You then dismiss the grief. That's right. You then say, well, who am I to think that this is bad thing or this is a bad thing? It ends up minimizing the That's grief right. that you may be going through. So how are you able to allow yourself to propel you forward and still stay true in the fact that you needed to overcome the grief that you were going through? First of all, that's a great question. And I'm so happy you asked it because I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, it's a light switch. You know, in the moment I'm sitting in now, it sounds like a light switch. It's not a light switch. It's very painful. Uh, the only thing I can say is I have, I've always had at least one, everyone needs at least one person who you can be messy and have that space of grief. I also write out my grief and then reread my grief back to myself. Oh, like as a journal? As a journal, yeah. But but say like what it feels like, you know, like, oh, this is the worst. It can never be, you know, I just want to end. I just want whatever it is. You have to write it out. I feel like grief just wants to be acknowledged and seen. And if you can have one person who says, yeah, you should feel sad. Absolutely. That's exactly how you should feel. I've been so lucky to have people like that in my life. 
Kelly, Eve, like so many people. And now it's my husband. And that's one reason why I chose my husband is that even now when I have great grief, and my grief is about different things at this point of my life. My husband never says, well, okay, yeah, yeah, everyone feels that, move on. No, mm. he's like, oh, I hear you. He's like, I'd be scared too. Oh, he's like, well, you feel so deeply. My therapist said the best thing, uh, something horrible happened when I was driving on the road here and I saw something and my and I kept saying, oh, I feel so bad because I can't stop crying. I feel like I'm a bad person. She's like, oh, Cassie. She's like, you feel bad because you feel like you should already be healed? You feel bad because you think the tears should be gone? She's like, but what would the world look like if people allowed themselves to actually feel their pain? And if they allowed themselves to be this sensitive, because I'm very sensitive, anything can make me cry. Okay. Mm. I'm a very, you know, like I take in energy very sensitively. And I actually think most of us do. And we cover it up in different ways. Um, and for me, it's always been like this cross to bear because my dad, like, oh, Cassie, she's so sensitive. Anything. And as I've gotten older, and because of my therapy, she's like, oh, but the world would be better. She's like, I don't think anything good comes from people just muscling through. So I've been able to like ease into that. And then I'm like, oh, so I'm allowed to be silly as much as I want. And I can be strong as much as I want, but I can't be as sad as much as I want. Well, of course, it can be equal parts. Okay, so I'm falling apart. So sometimes when people call me, my real friends, my close circle, they'll say, how are you doing? I'm like, guys, not so good, not so good. So it's not a switch. You have to live in it, but you have. I feel like you have to have at least one, they actually say scientifically, you have at least one person that you feel safe with to live in the grief. You can get through anything in life. And I've always had one person. Because you're right, you can't just flip to the end. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at 
every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash lisa. Wow, dude, they're so freaking powerful. I love that. They use like very tactical, like have that one person. And then the comedy thing, People would love you to be funny for mm. the rest of your life. Right. But to be sad for the rest of your life? Wow, right. that really hit me. Um, and you've done stand-up comedy. Right. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about because I think that the quote that you said is, um, you know, there's like that fine line or what was it? Comedy and tragedy sit oh, right yeah. by. They sit right by. Look, the greatest comedians have dealt with great pain. Do you use then humor as a, a mask? It's so funny how we think about comedy. We don't think that. You look at Robin Williams. And he's like so phonetic, right? Because he feels everything. Oh, I see a camera. What does that mean? Oh, I see a light. What does that mean? Because he's sensitive. Comedians are sensitive. And they just find an interesting way to talk about it. I don't think it's a mask. It's just a witty way, another way to speak on it. So people are always so surprised that, you know, the people who know me only as funny, they're like, oh, but Cassie's so deep. And then the people who know me as this like deep, well, I'm so funny. I'm like, because they both are the same. It's just a different rhythm. That's it. It's the same words at a different rhythm and you take it in. Oh my God. And people perceive it in a like night and day way. Honey. You listen to Richard Pryor. He's, oh, he's talking about horrendous things that happened to him in his childhood, but he says it at the right rhythm mm. and it sounds a little different. Chris Rock, he says it at a different rhythm and it means something else. You know, everyone just does it at a different rhythm and then you slow it down and you talk about the same thing. It means something different. It's just rhythm. Comedy, see rhythm. Rhythm, see comedy. Wow, I've never this so genius. Yeah, I mean, I get how it can look like a mask, but really comedians are deeply sensitive people, which is why comedians are great dramatic actors. Because they're like, oh, you want me to slow it down? And now it's about the death of my mom. Oh, my mom. What am I going to do? Now it's a comedy. Oh, my mom. What am I going to do? It's the same freaking words, just a little bit different. So actually, in real time... We could potentially, so you know how you said you journal the harsh hardship of, yes. what if you yes. then read it back yes. as if you were doing a stand-up comedy? Honey, so that is actually a therapeutic trick. <laughs> really? So you write out, you know, set a timer for two minutes, write out your sob story. What is the sob story of your life, right? And then when you're done, cut on old McDonald had a farm <laughs> and then read it to someone. Listen, my sob story used to be Spike Lee only cast me an inside man because he felt so sorry for me. That used to be my sob story. Wow. And he felt bad for me. My, this man didn't know nothing about me. <laughs> he didn't know nothing about my pain, nothing about my past. He don't know nothing about me. He just know he saw this audition. Okay. And that used to be my sob story. And I remember I would read it. And I said, like, and so Spike Lee gave me this job because he felt sorry for me. And they're like, read it again. It was a long thing. And after the third time, I was like, Spike Lee, Spike Lee feels sorry for me. <laughs> 
this sounds ridiculous, okay? You can really do that for anything. Any great pain, if you read it back enough time, you realize, like, this is preposterous. Oh, my God, I'm so strong. Wait a minute, I am beautiful. Wait a minute, I am talented. Why am I stealing this for myself? Dude, this is so powerful. I had no idea. That's so genius. Yes, it is genius. Oh. But it's all about the rhythm. Yeah. It's all about what's surrounding the grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, girl, you strike me as such a damn freaking confident woman that's always going to show up. I'm assuming that just like every other human, you have insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard you tell this story about though how you would like being on set director would basically they tell you what to do in essence Mm. and sometimes you're like I don't feel like I did it Mm. and you wanted one more you Mm. wanted one more but you didn't feel like you had the right to ask for one more take and Mm. then Denzel Washington pulled you aside please share this story because holy smoke I mean people forget about it being in the movie people need to use this in their real life yes and this helped shape my career a lot because somebody came up to Denzel on set and said, oh, Denzel, Denzel, you didn't say this line. Uh, this line needs to be said like this, like this. I can't remember who came up to him. And Denzel looked at him and he said, so what, sh- what do you do here? And the person said, oh, I do da-da-da. And he's like, great, I'm an actor. You let me act. And he turned to me and he said, don't let anyone take away like your agency as an actor. Like There are things only you know. And there's only things that they know. Their job is done. It's yours now. And honey... This has been so true in my life. Anytime I've asked for one more for myself, it's the take they use on TV. It's the take that they'll use in the film. They'll beat an actor down saying, it's this way, this way. But it's someone who probably doesn't look like you, come from your background. So they don't know exactly what to say. You know, to be a director is a very hard job. You're trying to use language to define an emotion to come out of someone. But the word home means different things to people. The color pink means something different to everyone too. So how do you really translate that? I remember I did a movie, even a better example. I did a movie in Rwanda, Africa. It's this movie called Kenya Rwanda. And I was playing this woman named Rose Kabuya, who was like, many people say she was like MLK to them in that country. She helped lead an army to end the genocide in Rwanda, right? That's at least the story we were telling through my character. Mm. And my, the director's like, what are you doing to prepare? And I said, it's so weird. I feel like I want to do a playlist, like, but there's only one song I want to play for her. And there's a song from Rihanna, we're going to run this town tonight. And he was like, that is not the song for her. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I said, that's just the song that's working for me right now. Something about the rhythm, something about being at night, being this woman, like, how do you survive? He's like, yeah, that's not it. And this director, I just felt he kept nitpicking, picking, 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 picking. So then I finally get to meet Rose Kabuya. And we go have dinner and we're eating. And then her phone rings. And that is the ringtone. <gasps> Shut up! We're going to run. And her ringtone is this Rihanna song. And she answers, she talks, she hangs up. And I said, you love this song? She's like, Oh, absolutely. This is my favorite song. She's like, first of all, American music. I love it. But this is my theme song. And I said, Rose, this is the music I use for you. She's like, what? And I said, why did you use this song? And she said, because every day when I was in the bushes fighting this war, all I thought about was when I get out of here, I'm going to wear lipstick again. I'm going to wear heels. I'm going to be so feminine. I can't wait to get out of this jungle to be like the full expression of femininity. And I was like, And I told the director, and after that, I thought, don't let nobody tell you what you already know on the inside. You know, art is a very ethereal thing. We don't know why the messages come and go. So tie that back to Denzel. That's Denzel. I'm sure he has seen that over and over and over again in his life. And his performances are nothing but truth. And that's all I hope I can do, too. 
The fact that you own, I bring something to the table. A lone girl is hard for us women to do, right? To own, yes, I bring something to the table. Then the second thing to push back mm. on someone going, I respect you, but that's your role, this is mine. And then doing it with grace. How do we as women stand up for ourselves, set, like actually have a voice and do it with grace? Like that's actually really beautiful. And so to now, for people, obviously because not everybody's an actress, but for people to take that idea and gracefully push back or gracefully own what they bring to the table is oh, like we need to bottle that up and sell it. Because I feel like that's, it's like a jujitsu like yeah. moved. Whatever grace is, grace is such a simple word, but for a woman, that's the only expression I know in this lifetime. It is like this move of like trying not to let the bars hit you, let the laser beams hit you. You know what I'm saying? I think it is grace, um, but there's this idea of when you're in a challenging situation, the person you're speaking to, think of them as being very wounded. Even though they're attacking you, think of that they're wounded. And so even though the energy might feel disrespectful, it's that they're scared. And so I've had I've been in some uh, interesting situations in acting and out of acting where you can feel someone's trying to take your agency. They're trying to take away your dignity. They're trying to take away that you're look, I've had someone in my face say, you know, your only job is to look pretty and to know your words. And I remember someone said that to me and I was like, just listen, the last year someone said that to me. And I'm at such a place of self-love. That didn't even offend me. I thought, bless their heart. They don't know what the job of an actor is. And so I said, oh, no, that's not it. But I understand why you'd see that from your perspective. It's like thinking I'm talking to a student, but with love and compassion. It must be so scary to do what you do because you don't know what I even do. So then I'm like, no, actually... I can see why you would think that my job is to be collaborative. I collaborate with your department and every department and I nudge it this way and I nudge it this way until it's actually what I feel like it's the seat of what we're trying to do here today. I, I just constantly give people the benefit of the doubt. But in that situation when someone comes to you Honey, and says your job is to be pretty, like in all honesty, I'm going to be honest, what I would say is, excuse me, don't get to talk to me. Like, like I, I would get on my high Honey, horse. My sister, I really would. my sister Mia would have been like, ah, 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 ah. Who are you? I'm going to report you right now. Okay. But I was just, I can't tell you. I don't, I, my sister has always said, she's like, you have such a sense of not blowing up on people. Let me tell you something. My dad, magnanimous, six foot seven, beautiful black man, first black television news reporter of Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. This man was a great orator. Like people from the South have such a sense of dignity, mm -hmm. such a sense of like being able to speak. So I really think it comes from my dad and my ancestors. Like, listen, my people have dealt with horrible, horrible affronts. And I always think, you know, you see me, but I come with like 10,000 behind me. So like, it, it's going to take more than just your one sentence to diminish me. You know how many steps I had to walk every day to be here? You cannot, you're one person. You can't break me. Like it's, it's, I have a great husband. I have great kids. I have too many great loves in my life. So when she said it, it, when I tell you with all sincerity, it did not hurt my feelings. And she was the head of something. And I was like, yeah, that's not accurate. I just, you know, even if someone calls me like the horrible N-word, it would never occur to me they're talking to me. And I've had that happen before. I was walking in New York and someone said something to me and I was like, oh, they just don't know me. Oh, so I get it. Like, what are you talking about? And so listen, that horrible thing with my dad dying, my grandfather, the breakup and all the things even before that trauma, you think that word is going to hurt me today? Mm. Mm, no, you must be hurt. Let me tell you. You must be mistaken. That's why great pain 
it's like a great shield for your future. My grandfather, he died in his 90s and he said the greatest thing about being older is that there are no more surprises. People who react like that, it's a sign of youth. Mm. It's like you have no experience. That's what that is. You have no experience of someone being mean to you. Okay, get ready. Life's going to throw more of that. I love that. I almost see it as the opposite. I'm really going to work on adopting your idea, though, because it's very powerful. And I'm always like, what do I do? And does it move me towards my goal or away from my goal? But I actually come from... First of all, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I actually come from the opposite because I spent so much of my life being pushed around, being disrespected, you know, um, being called concords because of my nose. Like I was teased and bullied as a kid for my looks. And so I didn't have self-esteem. I didn't have confidence and right. I just stayed quiet. And so what happens is in my adulthood, as I built my confidence, I told myself, I'm never going to let someone talk to me like that again. <sighs> but now I go too aggressive. And I know that I'm too aggressive because mm. if someone does disrespect me, mm. I feel like I'm speaking on behalf of that 14-year-old Lisa mm. that didn't mm. have the guts to tell that asshole to F off. Oh, and so now I, I almost it. like yeah. try to make up for it. But again, yeah. it doesn't serve me. Sometimes I'm just like, well, hang on a minute. I just met them where they are. They are. And that doesn't make me feel good. Look, the revolution comes as love. Mm. It's not going to come as hate. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's so many great people who write about the revolution of love, um, bell hooks, bell hooks. You could swim in bell hooks and about oppression, but how love is the thing that unlocks it. The truth is I grew up with a father who, because he dealt with such great indignity during his time, um, you know, my dad became the first black television news reporter because uh, the Urban League or NAACP used him as a proxy to try to get a job at a news station mm-hmm to prove that they're racist because none of these stations would have a black person as an anchor. Right. And my dad had like three degrees, brilliant man. And of course he walked in They're like, boy, we don't have anything for you. You, you want to be the janitor? Mm-hmm. And he's like, thank you. And he started to walk away and he was like, got him. And then they were like, wait a minute. And this man named Baker was like, mm, we do need someone black to go into the black neighborhoods of all the rioting. Cause during that time there were great racial riots happening of unrest and all that stuff. And because my dad went through so much trauma of disrespect, mm. I would see him blow up. Because mm. I saw him blow up, it blew up his relationships, his work life. I think that's why he died at 63. Because that's a lot of stress on the heart to constantly blow up like that. And there are other people in my life that I've seen like that where anger anger leads to jail, anger can lead to death. Um, but love mm. seems to be like people it throws people off when you greet them with love and grace that it shames them. You know, when someone came mm-hmm. up to me on my set recently and they were like, oh, Cass, you're so great, but you're a movie star. And I said, don't call me a movie star. I'm a team player. I'm a collaborator. And I want us all to work together. I'm not here trying to be the queen of something. I'm trying to be like the teammate of something. Mm-hmm. Right. But love throws people off. Grace throws people off. I'm not perfect. I have moments where I've blown up at people, but it's few and far between because I don't like what I look like at that. Mm-hmm. I don't like, and I don't know. And I, I've always felt like when I blow up, it's like, it's so powerful. I don't want to end someone with my hate, with my anger, but you won't end someone with love and grace. It'll make them feel shame and come back and say, oh, sorry about that. Um, or even if they don't come back and say, I'm sorry. 
they come back and try to be their best. And I've seen this happen so many times. They disrespect me. I give them love and grace. They come back and they try their best to outlove me. And I'm like, I see you. You feel bad. And I still give you space here. God, that's so beautiful. I recognize it isn't the right strategy. And I, I recognize that I just flipped too hard. And now I'm trying to, you know, find my way back. But I Burn up bridges that you don't know where the bridge yeah. is going to go. Don't get me wrong. Some people need a good cuss now. But that's, that's the thing. It's like, it's more the disrespect. That's the thing. It's like, when you disrespect me, I'm going to meet you. Which again, doesn't do like, like, it. Doesn't why are they serve. disrespecting you? Yeah. What does it say about them? What yeah. do they not have? They must be wounded or miseducated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I've taught maybe too, because, you know, like we talked earlier about how I used to be a teacher and students come at you with all sorts of energy and it becomes like a great look. When I first started teaching, honey, honey, I was like Debbie Allen and saying, <laughs> well, I was like, listen, you have got to want it. You know, there are people who cannot eat. You got to want it like a next level. And I used to be that way. And students did not like me. Oh. And then I flipped it. And I remember my husband gave me this article. It was a New York Times article about how kids actually learn more when you give them compassion and love than when you're just like stonewalling and hard. And I was like, this can't be true. And I tried it. People want to change. People want to grow because they feel safe. I became a very different teacher. But when I started off, kids would do things that I was like, how dare you? Do you know? that that that. Honey, I didn't save no souls in that class. When I changed to this other thing where students would do things that I felt like were disrespectful, I'd be like, mm. I would literally say, I have so much compassion for you because you're here in front of us bearing something you've probably never had to bear before and then be judged. So let's look at the word mm. judge so we can like explode it so that way, you know, judge doesn't mean I'm trying to make you feel small. Judge means I see something in you that I want it to like grow and expand mm. because you are meant to be doing this thing. I'm just like, here's a carrot. I'm just trying to lead you out. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to kill your spirit. You know, the culture we live in is very low nurturing. America is a low nurturing environment. We don't believe in rehabilitation. We hardly believe in second chances. We definitely don't believe in forgiveness, right? It's the halo noose effect here. We love you, then we hang you up. So why would I want to dive more into that? I'm raising a little boy. And in generations past, we raised little boys to be soldiers. Don't feel, don't be a girl. No, no, no. Under my reign, it's going to be like feel. Play with that baby doll. I tell him, I can't wait for you to be a daddy. You're going to be such a great daddy to this baby. Uh, You know, nurturing is what will save us. Mm -hmm. Love will save us. Hey, there's enough of that, y'all. Yeah. So I'm really trying to figure out the realities of someone with just in your face disrespecting you in that moment Mm -hmm. and then having the, the, the breath, you know, to take a deep breath and be like... I've just been through. It's, I mean, even if I slowed the moment down, it felt like someone kicked me in the stomach. Uh. And then I just looked at her and I was like, this is someone who I really like working with. She is confused. I can't tell you that life is just, you know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, Lord knows the the Bible of Oprah Winfrey. You can quote from it all day. And she talks a lot about, you know, every person comes to you as a teacher. Every single person comes to you as a teacher. And I think I was just her teacher in that moment. I'm trying to think of a moment where I was not someone's teacher and I was the worst of myself. And when I think about that moment, it's because I tried grace and love over and over and over. And finally I said, and now you're going to get the other side. But even when I get angry, it's like pointillism. I'm like, here are the receipts. 
This is who I have been. This is who you have been. We will not do this again, or I will detach from this entire thing. Okay. When that happens, that's the part of me that comes out. And it's like very fiery. But still, it's coming from a place of, I have tried love here mm. over and over again. It has not been enough. Mm. But I do try love. Again, I think it's really, you know, it's probably trauma. Because, like I said, seeing my dad blow up. When I say blow up, he would just, his motto was like, you know, if you embarrass someone in front of people, they will learn to never do that again. That is a true thing. And I've seen that. But all those people who are around you might not ever respect you either. Yeah. You've lost the respect. You've lost in it. That and situation. I really feel like as a woman, do if if the metaphor for a black woman, it's like a shackle. You know, to be a woman, mm-hmm. it comes with a lot of shackles. We all have shackles. Men do too. But part of the shackles of being in this body during this time is like, oh, I'm supposed to be the angry black woman. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Listen, I have a lot of anger in here. And maybe part of the reason I have all this grace and love is that I refuse to let the hate and anger take me over. Because there is so much anger for what's not right for injustice. And so I have to constantly go back in. I meditate, I do TM. And so the greatest truth lives in like being quiet. I remember my husband and I, after three years of first being together and things started to get heavy and he would just see me and I'd be like, one minute. And I'd go in and I would just get quiet and see what truth would pop up. Mm-hmm. And look, whatever you're searching for, the brain is like Google. If you're looking for it, it will hand it to you. And it would always hand me something much lighter and much sweeter. So this relationship could, you know, remain. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. It's a lot of meditation out here to try to end. Also, like when I meditate, I always think about who do I want to be in the future? Who do I really want to be in this world? And anger. I've lived there. You know, when I, my angry years, you could see it in pictures. My hair, I used to have like a mohawk, blonde streak coming to the front. I used to wear like a bunch of spikes here. Uh, I used to do Krav Maga. I was listening to heavy metal music. Oh, wow. Honey, I went through, that was a part of the grieving oh, process of my dad when I lived here. Uh, I just thought about that. And honey, a lot, of, and like, why did I do Krav Maga? To get out that anger, to feel like I could take care of it. I would walk down the street and I'd be like, I wish somebody would try me. I wish. So look, who I am right now is an evolved person. But even then, I didn't cuss people out. You know, I just didn't feel like I had the right. But I also just, I've always felt like that it was so much fire here, it might kill people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you feel like you have that much fire, it's like, what do you do with it? And you're like, ah, I got to use it for something else. Wow. And talk to me about the power of art, because I've heard you say that you use art as well as therapy. That's right. Oh, honey. Well, first of all, art is therapy. Okay. I paint as therapy. I write as therapy. I act as therapy. Mm. I mean, I think the mm. greatest harm you can do to a child is not give them an outlet with art, because art is the safest space to like do whatever you want without boundaries, you know? Mm. So acting saved my life, because acting will be like, you have all that pain? Let me find you a perfect role. Ah, use this role to let that pain out. Like Greek, Greek tragedies were built on the idea of people come back from the war and the audience sits there to vicariously feel the great pain of other people. So you could all wail together, scream together, have trauma together. Mm. It's like very therapeutic. The same is true for acting. You find these roles to release things. I mean, my career is based on Like you could say, whether I know it as this or not, it's like, ah, what is it I either need to deal with, let out or transcend to right now? So like right now I'm playing Aunt Viv 
on Bel Air, nothing I could have ever imagined. Um, but a year before that role showed up, I remember talking to my manager and I said, yeah, I can't play any more moms, black women crying in the street over mm-hmm. their dead sons. I'm like, I'm done with that propaganda. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to play someone who is rich, who is satisfied in life and who's going after something else, who has like a great passion. Like that is what, so like every cop lawyer role that came my way, I was like, nope, that's not it. I'm not a judge. No, stop taking away my sexuality people. Uh, Hollywood loves doing that to a black woman. Oh, she ain't got no sexuality. Get away. No, what else? No, I'm tired. And then Aunt Viv came and I was like, it, no, that's too good to be true. Get away. And oh, there, you pushed away something that's too good to be true. Honey, the call of the journey shows up and you say no. And so it showed up and I said, no, thank you. My manager's just like, what are you talking about? This checks all your boxes. I'm like, yeah, but it's on Viv. Okay. Mm, who going to play that icon next? And he said, Cassie, just throw anything on tape. And I was like, fine. And in the middle of reading that for an audition, I was like, oh, it does. And I remember like all the best parts of me got to be focused to be put into something. I actually have an amazing quote of yours. You say, say it. Be it, do it, then you can have it. Honey, first of all, you got to be it, okay? As if it's already here. Then you can do it, and then you'll have it. People get so confused. It's it's a very old school idea. Like so many books talk about the be, do, have effect, but it is the cornerstone of every great success in my life. You know, before I became a teacher, I was just waiting tables. And people would be like, what are you up to, Cassie? Waiting these tables, but you know what I can't wait to do? I'm so excited because I'm ready to be a professor at a college. They're like, really, where are you doing that? It's not here yet. Can you leave me there? Everybody, there were, the first time you say it though, guys, oh my God, the first time you tell somebody what you really want to be doing in life, it's so scary. It feels like the entire world might fall apart as if it will shatter in front of you. And I used to be like, I want to be a professor at a college. <laughs> and no one would laugh. You know, no one would be like, are you crazy? People are like, oh yeah, I see that for you. But you're like wincing. Oh, yeah. Right. The first yeah, time you yeah, tell yeah. somebody your new dream, you're like, uh. And the same is true when I told, told my manager that I thought for sure he's going to be like, are you crazy? No, your bread and butter is this thing. He was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's mm. let's do it. But anyway, I kept doing that around trying to find a professor. And even when I wait tables, on my way to waiting tables to go to my job, to be like, I'm an international superstar, a lecturer known all over the world. Like this would be like the the soundtrack to my life of like, who am I? Who am I? That is who I am now. So then finally, when I said it to a girlfriend who's like a close girlfriend of mine, I said, Yeah, I'm ready to be a professor. I can't wait till that happens for me. It's around the corner. She's like, Oh, I know the head of Fordham University. I was like, Stop. Stop. I'm ready to talk to him now, everybody. Lead me this way. Okay. And then so many things happen. My life is that. I wanted to do a comedy and I kept telling my people, I feel like I should be in the new Sex in the City. There should be a black Sex in the City where I get to just be sexy and cute and talk about love. Boom. I got to do Queen Latifah's show on single ladies. That was a hit on VH1 back in the... My life is about telling people. And I knew I found the right husband because when I would tell my husband what my new dream was, he would always be like, Absolutely. I see that. What else do you see? And I'd be like, well, I also see this, that. And he'd be like, yes. And you know what else I see? And we'd play a game. I was like, I love this man. <laughs> He's playing the yes and game with me. That is all life is. Yes and. But you have to say it out loud. 
you know, they say if you write it down, it happens. For me, I find that if you say it out loud and you keep telling people, like the amen corner, mm. it's like people have keys in their back pockets. They can't wait to be the person to unlock that door for you. Oh, I love that. But I've also heard you say, but you also have to sometimes grieve the future vision you had that doesn't come into fruition. So talk to me about that. I mean, because... So I was in a not a very good, unhealthy relationship uh, in my life. And the vision I had for myself, it was it was leading me in the wrong direction. It was leading me to a place of eggshells, of not being the full expression of who I felt like I should be in this life. But I love this man so much. But this man was not a yes and person. He was a no but person, no but less person, no but go the other way person. And I just remember my spirit just felt so small when I had to wake up to the vision of like, or the idea that our visions, I can't live in his vision for my life. It was very painful. Mm-hmm. And it took, it took a lot of grief. Because his vision of, if you don't mind sharing, what mm-hmm. was his vision of your life? You know, to be a pretty, it's like doll's house, the doll's house, like be this pretty little thing that he could show off, but that did nothing. Like he could dress me up and, you know, twirl me around, but I had no thoughts. You know, I had, I have all this passion, all this education. I couldn't reveal it because it would make him look smaller. He had this business. The business was not correct. It was not based in integrity. Um... So I would have just been a thing. And I could see two visions. One, where I would have been a very well taken care of woman, traveled the world in diamonds and furs, and it would have ended in suicide. Because at some point, you realize, I'm suffocating. That's You're just suffocating. And then the other life was, when it finally hit me that there was another choice, and the other choice was a life that I built brick by brick, all by myself, even if it's a small but great life, you know? And like great life only means I'm surrounded by people who love me. I can pay my bills. That's it, y'all. Can you pay your bills and enjoy life and your friends and family? Then you won. Otherwise, you're just paying more taxes. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I remember when I packed up my stuff, my girlfriend helped me and I left like in the middle of the day when he was at work, like escaping from my life sort of energy. And she was like, you're going to leave all of this? And I said, oh, yes, because where I'm going, it's going to be much greater than this. Believe me, I did not believe that in the moment, mm. but I had to say it out loud. Mm. And thankfully, she didn't say, you're crazy. She was like, okay. And I had to set out on a new vision. And it was the smothering that you felt that eventually almost emotionally forced you into having, into identifying that there was another choice. Because you said, like, when I realized there was another choice, and I think that that's really powerful, that a lot of people don't necessarily feel like there is when you're in that. Yeah. And also, how do you teach people that there's another choice? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you go back, I go back to this thing of meaning, like this pink cup. What's the meaning of this pink cup? Lots of different meanings there. It's like, it's something to drink out of. It's something that's aspirational. Pink makes me feel fiery. Pink is just my favorite color. Pink makes me feel like a girl. Pink, not at, but the true meaning of pink is it's a color. Everything else is just the meaning you bring to it. That's it. It's just the meaning you bring to it. The same is true for your life. Who are, and you put your name there. Who is Stacy? Stacy's a mom. 
Stacy is a mom with uh, great ambitions. Stacy is da, da, da. like you can just keep growing mm-hmm. the list until you say, da, 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 wait a minute, I love this version. Well, then you can go in that direction. You got to play the game. And if you can't do it for yourself, do it for anyone else. Because I have someone very close in my life and she plays it very small and she could be anything. And we talk about this a lot. Like she's, but how did you get to this other thing? How did I said, you have to come up with a vision for yourself that is so enticing that you can leave what you have to go on the journey for this next Mm. thing. It sounds so much easier than what it is. But at that point in my life, I was like, it just seems so fun and sexy to me. If I thought, what if I could just have an apartment that I could pay for on my own? It could be a bachelorette apartment, a bachelorette apartment with like furry carpets and furry blankets and things are pink and blue. Like you really got to get specific and really feel like, what does it feel like? What are the senses? And then finally you're like, that becomes the thing that draws you in more and more every day. And you go back to this other life. You're like, what is that life again? <gasps> it's my bachelor apartment that I paid for myself. I don't have to ask permission to do anything there. I can decorate it exactly how I want. That's how my life was at that point. And it got so enticing that finally I was like, I remember when I was with this man, I wouldn't even sleep in our room. I would sleep in the guest room. And I made that guest room into that bachelorette apartment. And he's like, why are you sleeping here? And I was like, because I wanted just a room that I made myself. Go identifying what that room looks like. Like the way you just even broke it down is so beautiful. And as you were talking, I was like, what? I don't know if you actually meant this. And I've just done so many interviews with psychologists of that. You're almost getting rid of the unknown. And that's where a big fear, right? Yes. Honey, you could be a therapist because Amy, you have to get rid of the, <laughs> the unknown is usually what keeps people stuck. Yeah. The unknown also is where people put their past. So the unknown becomes, mm. I'm just going to find another hymn. There's only other hymns there. Well, it'll probably be like my dad's energy. You know, you don't say it like that, but it's like these people are like, there are no good men in the world because they're all just like this. They're all just checked out. And I'm like, well, and how's that working out for you? Mm-hmm. Your future is whatever you say it is. Yeah, it, I can't. It sounds so simple, but it is the thesis to my life and everyone else's life. All anyone ever talks about vision, but what they're really saying is, what do you see in the future? What does it look and feel like? Is it truly enticing to you or is it someone else's idea? Mm -hmm. Because if it's someone else's idea, you ain't going to go for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you got to really feel it. And so, but most, many people think their past is their future. And so they just keep living it out over and over again. And so the moment I realized that the future is unknown, that means anything and everything is possible. All of a sudden, it seems like life is a game, a fun game to be played. Okay, we're going to play this game. And the game is I'm going to get my own bachelor apartment. And what's the worst case scenario of that game? If it doesn't work out, I'm moving with a girlfriend. Like it's a game. I play a lot of things like a game. Like, okay, what's the game? What's the game? What's the game? It, it takes away, I think, this, this, the deep severity that you may have made up in your head. And I obviously don't want to dismiss people when I say made up, but like perfect examples of my sister. So she was married. She loved him, but she wasn't in love with him. And so she knew it just was a marriage she needed to get out of. But all the fear, but we lived together. We Greek Orthodox. We had the big wedding, right? Like everything that comes with. But if I split up now, what are people going to say? And then... About a year later, so she makes the decision. A year later, she calls me up and she's the happiest I've ever heard her. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just, you know, she just got laid. Like, what's the story? (laughs) And she's like, you'll never guess. I just mowed the lawn. 
And in that moment, it changed everything for me. I was like, wow, these are the little things that we fear of like, who's going to take care of the house? And you're maybe not giving it a voice, which is why the fear then builds up. But once you start to piece it apart and you're like, well, what am I fearful of? Yes. Oh, but he pays the bills. Yes. Can I learn how to pay the bills? Yes. yes. Well, he does part of the, you know, the mow the lawn. And she didn't even realize until she did it. And when she did it, she's like, oh, this is what I was scared of. All the things I didn't know if I could do or not. Honey, have you ever heard the metaphor about the girl who sleeps with all the drummers until she learned how to drum? No. And then she wasn't interested in the drummers anymore? <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes we're attracted to people who can do the thing that we think we can't do. Mm. But once we investigate and try to do it ourselves, all of a sudden we're like, oh, Oh, he can, I can do that too. It demystifies it. But usually there's a huge block. There's like, I can never mow the lawn. I mean, I totally understand how your sister feels because we do that in all sorts of parts. Mm -hmm. I could never do X, Y, Z until you finally like collapse it and do the thing. First of all, that's huge because that's the first step. Mm -hmm. And then even identifying like, oh, I can do anything, right? Is amazing. But let's actually take an example as an actor. You're really living, leaving a lot of your career as an actor in someone else's hands where they're either having a bad day or they're not. They either like you or they don't, right? There's so much that goes with it. Mm -hmm. And so going, oh, I can have anything I mm -hmm. want, but then walking into the room and then getting rejected mm. from a role. How the hell do you deal with those types of rejections? How do you not take it personal? Because I've heard you say, I just don't take it personal. How? How do you not take that personal? Well, yes. So it took me a long time to get there. And it's because I had a huge aha moment. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, there's this great exercise I used to make my students do. And I'd say, I want you to write um, basically a monologue. And the monologue is something you wish you would have said to someone who either hurt you, loved you, abandoned you, up to you. Don't write your name at the bottom of it, though. Mm. Just write out what you wish you could have said. And so you should write at the top. This is the scene in the hospital with my mother just before she dies. Mm. And then you write the monologue. Great. And I say, great. Now I'm going to take these monologues and I'm just going to hand them out to other people to read. And now people in the audience are now these actors and they're reading and the person who wrote it is crying. The person who's reading is quiet. Uh, very therapeutic. Yep. But really what it shows is the reason you get a role or don't get a role has nothing to do with your talent. It has to do with, does your essence remind this person of their mother? You know, if I'm looking for someone to play my father, it's between Morgan Freeman, Larry Fishburne, Samuel Jackson, right? Denzel Washington. Okay. I picked Denzel. Because his essence reminds me of my father more than Larry Fishburne. It's not that Larry Fishburne ain't talented. Okay. And I thought, well, if that's true for them, it's true for me too. A role I get, listen, most of the things that we do here in Hollywood, it's based off someone's life, their imagination. That, that's a real person to them. I'm not getting the role, not because I'm not talented. So therefore, rejection for me became about, oh, I'm not walking into these rooms to get a role. I'm walking into the room to show people that I'm a great artist. Period. So then I want people, I play this game. I say, this all the time, I want to do such a great job that people go to sleep and they say, ah, she's not right for this role, but she needs to be in this somewhere. Where do we put her? That's my only job because your career in hindsight is where it's built. People are like, she came in for this. She wasn't right for three years. Single ladies is very much that. I auditioned for three years. I was never right. The casting director stopped calling me in. When he didn't call me in is when the producers was like, but where's that? <laughs> But where's Cassandra Freeman? Yeah. We think this is the perfect role for her. And he's mm -hmm. like, but you haven't cast her in three years. Not because she's not talented. 
She just wasn't right. And here's the other thing. People make it so precious that actors are rejected. Tell me a career where you are not rejected. You are rejected in every single industry. And if you're not, well, then you pick the right job. I don't name it. If you're a salesman, you're constantly being rejected. If you're a parent trying to teach your kids, child, I get rejected from my four-year all the time trying to teach them something new. I mean, rejection comes up everywhere. So it's about how do you frame that rejection? Oh, try again. What else can it be about? Oh, my son didn't understand it. Oh, you know what would be fun? What if I use dolls? So now I'm doing this new thing where I put the put two of his like uh, loveys and I say, this one's saying this and this one's saying this. And he's like, tell that story again. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to teach him a lesson with it's a game. Like everything's rejection, but what it is is information to redirect you in some other direction. That's it. Rejection is redirection, but it's never about like, I'm not good enough. Listen, if I thought it was about that, I would have left this a long time ago. And I have almost left it many times because I was like, oh, I haven't been cast in a long time. I remember I got rid of my agent, manager, publicist, everyone. And I was like, that's it. None of these people are vibrating at the level I need them. I can tell that they think I'm not special. I can tell they don't have my vision. So why am I doing it? Why am I submitting myself at these auditions if they don't align with me? And so I could just feel myself getting smaller. And I thought, I'm going to get rid of all of them. And if I'm meant to stay in this industry, I'm going to find a great team. And it was a scary three months going door to door walking into these offices and you walk into these offices looking like me surrounded by like a bunch of white men who like own an agency and they're looking at you and I could feel that they're tabulating mm-hmm. how much money could they make off of me and they're like mm, not enough for us to be interested I could just feel it and then finally I walked into this one room and it's my manager and he saw me and the look in his eyes I wish I could articulate the look in his eyes but he was like Cassandra Freeman you should have your own show by now you should have awards like what where what what is happening and i said i've been waiting for someone like you to see what i see he's like come on in honey come on in i mean he said it in his own interesting way but you're looking for someone who sees your vision. So what I know about this career of an actor is at this point in my life right now, okay, call me in 10 years and see if I still live is that, you know, whatever success you have, if it's not self-prepared, it's a team. Mm-hmm. And right now I have a team that has my values. When I got pregnant, my team wasn't like, oh, well, what are we going to do? My team was like, Cassie, you've given 14 years of your life to this career. Absolutely. Go have your family. My manager said, this is what's going to happen. You're pregnant. You're going to book a pilot. Then you're going to have that baby, have three, four months of maternity leave. And then that TV show is going to shoot and you're going to have more money. He's like, it's going to be great. What else could you ask for? June baby's perfect for you. That's exactly how it happened. (laughs) My friends to this day call me up. They're like, how did it happen? My agent and manager were in alignment with that is a gift. The universe is going to take care of all of us. But many of my girlfriends say the opposite. They tell their people and they're like, what? Well, we got to tell people you're pregnant. You can't work. It's unethical. And my people are like, why would it be unethical? You're, you're six months pregnant. You're allowed to work. You tell us when you want to stop working. It worked out perfectly, but it's because of my team. And it's because I bet on myself. Also, I bet on if this isn't for me, there are other things that I do great too. Dude, I love that. I love that so much. Getting people around you aligned with who you are is imperative. Betting on yourself. Oh my God. Like one of the most important things. But then embedding on yourself, you, I've heard you say so many times, like you have to be willing to throw your hat in the ring. 
But that's the point. A lot of people are too scared to throw their hat in the ring. Because I'm going to be very honest. Someone at home right now where they're like, okay, I really want to throw my hat in the ring. But if I walk into that one agency where there's a bunch of white dudes and they look at me up and down and they're like, yeah, that could derail them because their self-esteem now, right? Like they they internalize it. This is who I am. Oh my God, I'm no good. And then they don't throw their hat in the ring again. But you just kept going. You kept throwing your hat, kept throwing your hat, kept throwing your hat until you found the people that aligned with you. Was it because you'd made the decision based on I'm going to be true to myself. Like it felt like it in your story, if you don't mind that I'm just presuming, but that felt like the starting point of you then making sure that if a room closes the door, it wasn't the room that you wanted to walk into in the first place. Amen. I mean, life is so hard sometimes to talk about in hindsight Mm. because right now it's like, and then she made it. But in the middle of it, when you walk into those rooms and you're like seeing your resume and people aren't impressed, And you're like, wow, this, but all I can tell you is deep down, everybody has like some secret truth dream. And that's been my life. Like since I was a kid, I always had this feeling like I'm supposed to act. I can't even tell you. Or like, and if it wasn't acting, it was that I have something important to share is what it felt like. And throughout my life, constantly high school, especially none of those teachers thought I should act, get to Florida state. None of those teachers think I should act. When I told Florida state, I wanted to go to grad school at NYU. They're like, yeah, but no one from FSU has ever gotten to grad school. And these were great people. So why would you get in? And um, I don't know why it never hit hard. I was like, huh, but something on the inside tells me it is possible. So I'm going to keep going. Maybe I'm stubborn as hell, but I just feel like whatever that thing is inside of me, I've always been like, but isn't it worth me just to check to make sure? Because I just want to make sure that I do the thing that I feel as like a chance. And if it doesn't work out, it'll be a fun story. Mm-hmm. Like I remember audition for Hamilton. I can sing, but not at the rate that the angelical role should. And my people gave me that audition and it was a horrible audition. Okay. Like nine, like, you know, one out of 10, it was probably a three. Okay. But I kept saying, guys, it's going to be a great story though. And it was, I remember I did a whole <laughs> Instagram post like, yo, I just did my dream. Sometimes the dream isn't in winning. The dream is just trying. Like you want to turn back at 80 and be like, you know what I tried to do? What, Grandma? I know, honey. I tried. It didn't work out. But you know where it led me? Like the truth is this story could have also been for three months I looked for a new agent. Nobody wanted me. But it led me to becoming a communications consultant. Mm. And that allowed me to travel the world. And now I get to meet with amazing people. And I get to bring all my tricks as an actor. Like, I know everything on this journey. I'm going to use it for something. It's a lot of ammo, right? It just happened to work out, guys. Okay. It's just happened. I kept, and look, each person I reached out to who are much more famous actors than me, I'd be like, can you give me an appointment to meet your agent? And I know some of my friends were like, they are never going to say yes. I said, I'm sure. I just need the rehearsal of walking into the room. But the victory is just trying. The victory doesn't have to be the win. So a big part of a life now is about, can you be unattached to the outcome? There are things that I'm trying for right now. I have to, I, tell, I constantly tell my team, guys, I'm unattached, but I'd love to still meet these people, but I'm unattached, but I'm happy to throw my hat in the ring. Don't you love, isn't that like, does that feel better? Like, I would hope someone at home is like, oh, yeah, why am I attached to winning the thing? She just tried to mow her lawn. Jesse, can you even get it started? You want? Can you put, 
girlfriend, you can push it too. When, <laughs> when it doesn't have to be, I mowed the whole lawn. It's the baby step up. I just took it out of the shed today. Yeah. Oh, girl, I love that so much. That's so damn powerful. Everything you've said is like, honestly, it's, it's the real tactical things of what someone can do when they don't feel great about themselves. And like, for you to be sitting here about to, your season two is out of Bel Air. Um, I believe you've got a movie at South by Southwest. Is that right? Yeah, I have a movie at South by Southwest. That one and all. Thank you. And we just found out season three is picked up for ah! Bel Air as well. So great, great. amazing. Everything you've just laid out, literally everything we've just spoke about is exactly the foundation that you needed to do in order for you to be here. And you've said it multiple times. It's like, well, what? It's never just like you're there and you're done, right? It's like everything you've just learned is going to be tools that you can use for your future. When you find moments where you're rejected again, you find moments where you're being maybe disrespected, but it's a continuous progress and mm. growth versus the, well, I don't know how to do it or I can't do this. Yeah. And also, isn't it at this point, it is about trying to find the things that you can't do. Like, isn't that fun to be like, oh, I can't actually do that. Wait a minute. Why was I chasing after that? I don't even want that. Wait, uh, what is it that I really want? You know, the best game people can ever play is the hot and cold game. Have somebody hide something in the room. What do you do when someone says you're getting warmer? Do you walk in that direction? Or do you walk in the other direction? Like, that's all life is. I'm no guru here that's figured out life. I've just really tried to be like, what does that thing inside of me say? I just don't want to leave here and think I left something on the table. I also think about life as like a poker game. And it's like, so I was handed these cards. So I'm, I, I look like this. I'm this color in this world. I was born with these parents in this town I was born in. What's the best that I can do with these cards? And I look across the table. There's some people who have worse cards than me, and they're playing the hell out of that hand. Shouldn't I play the hell out of this hand? Look, some people love this hand, traumas and all, okay? People just know that I've been through the dark, okay? There have been horrible, traumatic things that have happened. And somehow, each time, I'm like, ah, but maybe my story is about how I got out of it anyway. You know, I like to think I'm a pastor of laughter. I would hope I get to share the jewels that I've learned and you laugh along the way and you're like, how does she get through it? Nothing but the grace of God. And I just believe that this light was meant to be shared, not to be buried. And I've tried to bury it many times and somehow light shows up. But the thing that has helped me the most, if it's nothing else, you got to find one person, whether in reality or in a book, who has figured it out. And use that as a compass over and over. The other thing is, you know, people ask me who's my mentor. And I say, I don't have any real mentors outside of my sister, Mia, who, who has been a guiding light to me, but she's very different than me. But there's this process where you just pretend like you have a boardroom in your head and you invite people into that boardroom, living or dead. And you eat, invite each person into the room and you say why you're here today. I invite this person into the room because of what you've created out of your life. And I know you had nothing. You created everything. And I know today you're a beacon of light. So many people, this is why you're here in this room. You invite each person into the room and say why they're there. And then you sit at the top of that boardroom, surrounded by these brilliant lights. And you say, here's my question, everyone. What do I do to get to A? And then to get to B, you'll be shocked to hear what the answers are. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try that out. It's a game, guys. Life is a big game. But part of the game is like, don't be so attached to winning. Just be attached to having great people around you, making sure you can figure out how to pay your bills. <laughs> 
It sounds so simple, but all of my friends who are great and successful, they're just like, this is it right now. Me being here with you, this is a great win. Mm-hmm. I get to be with someone who sees life, who's trying mm-hmm. to figure out life. There's no real answer. The real answer is in searching. Never stop searching until you find like a piece of gold that works for you. That's the only answer, but there is no ultimate answer because we're all so different. Oh, girl, this has been so amazing. I'm so sad we're out of time. Where can people find you? All the amazing things that you're doing. And Listen, I'm always on Instagram, guys, okay? Cassie Damsel on Instagram. Also, I have a great company on the side called Creatricity. Go look that up. Uh, Otherwise, just, you know, massive blessings. That's all I can send to you and to your audience. Thank you so much for this time. Oh, my God. Guys, guys, go check her out. She's really freaking funny and extremely talented. But just like we uncovered today, it wasn't like that was a gift from God. She freaking worked her ass off to be the woman that can sit here today and give you all that backstory and still have so much love and compassion and humor so go check her out guys if you're not subscribed click that subscribe button down there and if you're not following me follow me at lisa billu and as always guys be the hero of your own life peace